Picture this, you're sitting down to watch a live poetry performance. The first poet takes the stage, and as they begin to read, they're accompanied by a live jazz band. If this sounds intriguing, well, you're in luck. International Jazz Poetry Month returns to Pittsburgh on May 2nd. The festival features more than 50 artists, including local jazz icons and poets from Algeria, Cuba, Sudan, and Ukraine. Tickets to watch online or in person at City of Asylum's home on the north side are free. Get yours at cityofasylum.org before they're gone. Today on CityCast Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh Glass Center is getting national attention. The finalists from the popular Netflix competition, Blown Away, have an exhibition opening there this week. But Pittsburgh's always been a hot spot for glassmaking. We're with Ann Matteras from the Heinz History Center to learn about our legacy as the glass capital of the U.S. It's Monday, January 30th. I'm Morgan Moody, and this is CityCast Pittsburgh. Long before it became known as the Steel City, Pittsburgh was known as America's Glass City. Bradford was almost called Pyrex, which I I just think that's (laughs) so cool. Um, I feel like a lot of people don't know we had such close ties to the glass industry. So why and why do we? There's a lot of reasons, but mostly uh, it's location, 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 like all great stories. Because of Pittsburgh's location at the nexus of the three rivers, it had access to um, a growing market downriver. Uh, between 1800 and 1850, the population of the interior United States grew from about 300,000 to 5 million people. Mm. So imagine if you're heading west on the river in 1820, what are you going to want to do? You're going to want to build a house or in your community, build schools and churches, and everybody needs windows, right? In this period, yeah. no na- natural light so critical to illuminating the interior of people's homes and businesses and schools. Uh, and that's what Pittsburgh becomes first because of the rich deposits of coal, mm. because of the access to the market to the West. Um, it becomes a supplier primarily of window glass, but also of bottles. You know, this was a great center for producing whiskey. You need something to put that whiskey in. Um, So bottles become another major product of this. And so out of that grows a glass industry. That glass would not make it across the Pittsburgh roads with all these potholes. It (laughs) wouldn't make it three miles. Yeah. And imagine putting it in a uh, Conestoga wagon and trying to go up the, uh, if you've driven across the uh, Pennsylvania Turnpike, you know, you're facing some curves and some mountains. Yeah. What's what's the process of uh, production glass making look like? Because I've seen pictures of like steel workers, you know, at carry furnaces, but and I've seen pictures of people making glass and it looks similar, but I'm not I don't know how the process works. The interesting thing about glass is um, even when the technology changes, depending on what you're making, um, the old technology stay in place. So you can still go to somewhere today like the Pittsburgh Glass Center. Hmm. Um, in the kind of Garfield Friendship neighborhood of the city, and you can see them blowing glass. And that is the earliest process. About 2,000 years ago, the Romans invented the blowpipe. So you're taking this molten material, you're melting sand, which is almost like magical. You're taking this gritty material, you're melting it to about 2,000 degrees, 
um, and it becomes this kind of viscous liquid that you can gather up at the end of a rod and you can put air into. And from that process, as it slowly cools, you can begin to shape and form objects, be they bottles or tableware, glasses, decanters, things for the uh, home. And uh, then you cool it slowly and it forms, again, a hard kind of smooth material. So glass is really very magical in its creation. The earliest technologies to kind of mass produce glass or the introduction of presses. Mm. So, you know, Pittsburgh is uniquely positioned for this because what you're doing is taking an iron mold, carving a design into it, gathering up a blob of glass, dropping it into that mold, and then pressing that glass into the mold. And as it cools, it'll hold the shape. So you can form things like bowls and um, cups and things by pressing technology. Um, and that comes in in about 1830. And that's the first major mass production technology. I've always wanted to take one of those classes at the uh, Pittsburgh Glass Center. I f- I'm afraid it's like a little too hot. <laughs> yeah, that is, the uh, you know, imagine being there in the summer on the south side. Um, imagine what it was like, you know, the iron factories, the glass factories, it's 90 degrees out and inside the glass house, it's 110 degrees and you're next to a furnace where the material is 1500 to 2000 degrees. Um, and those furnaces are running constantly 24 hours a day. So it is um, a miserable, <laughs> while it's beautiful to watch because yeah. it's almost like a ballet when they're pressing glass, like the interactions between the different people doing these jobs, kind of this choreographed dance of production. Hmm. It's incredibly um, difficult, dangerous, hot kind of work to do. Was Pittsburgh known for a specific type of glass? Like PPG started the windows, but yeah. Right. In the 1840s, Pittsburgh becomes the press glass capital of the world. So this sense of making glass tableware in um, iron molds, Pittsburgh reigns supreme in that. There's no place in the, and when I say Pittsburgh, I really mean Western Pennsylvania. There's no place that can compete with the volume of glass being made here. Yeah. But, you know, when you're talking about flat glass or window glass, company like Pittsburgh plate glass, you know, they're really the first to cast um, large sheets of glass successfully in the United States. Um, so they become known for doing that. And there are a number of kind of window or flat glass companies that become pretty famous for doing that. Yeah. And then bottles is a whole separate production technology. So there are bottle companies here as well. Do you like to dance, look at beautiful art, eat gourmet snacks, people watch? Well, mark your calendars for Friday, June 7th for one of my favorite parties in Pittsburgh. It's Mattress Factory's 25th Garden Party. The theme this year is make-believe, and it's all to celebrate and support the creatives in our community. There's going to be live music, an open bar, an art auction, and probably my favorite, the costume contest. Trust me, I will be judging yins and so will 
everyone else there. Be playful, be imaginative, explore your magical realm because this is a theme party. You want to come dressed to impress. You must be 21 and up to attend and rest assured every dollar raised goes directly towards supporting the museum, its art, its education, and all of its community outreach initiatives. Get your tickets now to the 25th Mattress Factory Garden Party. They are in our show notes and online at mattress.org. What were some of the challenges then with the glass industry? Because it seems like, I mean, now, you know, we just, we're not known for our glass industry. You know, we were known for steel. We're not really known for that industry anymore either. So um, what ended up happening? Great question. You know, think about what do you buy milk in today? What do you buy um, soda in today? Aluminum cans. So the invention of the aluminum pop-top can, which is also a Pittsburgh innovation um, with Alcoa and Pittsburgh Brewing, um, the invention of plastics and paper products Mm. um, really take some of the market, a large part of the market away from especially like bottles, um, cans. And then you know, the rising cost of labor, if you can make something more cheaply, um, your labor costs in China is, you know, 15 cents an hour, and your labor cost here is $22 an hour, um, that's eventually going to affect where things are made. And also lifestyle, you know, um, when people get married, do they register for China glass, um, that sort of thing anymore, silver. Yeah. People's lifestyles have changed. They entertain differently. They live mm. differently. You know, you're more inclined to use a solo cup to drink your beer than a big glass beer stein. So all those things combine really to kind of decimate the industry locally. What, when did some of those uh, plants start closing in Western Pennsylvania? The industry kind of moves and changes throughout the 20th century. But really, you know, it's great in the trade journals. There was a wonderful article I read about the dangers of paper cups. So people see these things coming in the teens and 20s, these new materials, these challenges. But it's really the depression in the 30s and then the war in the 40s that make um, getting the raw materials to make glass. That's really when you begin to see the decline of the industry locally. And then what really killed the industry um, recently was... Uh, about 20 years ago, when the price of natural gas went up precipitously, mm. um, you saw a lot of companies just couldn't afford their fuel costs anymore, their fuel costs, their labor costs. And that's when you saw a major decline uh, in the industry, in the region, what was left of the industry. Aside from um, you know glass centers where there's artists there blowing glass, and uh, you know we're, we're pretty rich in that in this area, but are there... Any other glass companies still thriving in, in Western Pennsylvania? So PPG, who was originally, you know, Pittsburgh Plate Glass, they were identified with um, their first product, got out of the glass business. Um, they had plants in Creighton, Meadville, uh, Ford City, around the region. Um, in the last couple of decades, they've really divested themselves of the, those plants. But there are places, mm-hmm. Pittsburgh Corning, when you think about glass block, yeah. Um, still makes some glass in the region. There are still flat glass companies. They're just not um, owned uh, locally anymore. They're international companies that have factories in the area. There's some places that do some diacroic or industrial or specialty glass hmm. for things like fiber optics, um, industrial use. Uh, but there's really not 
you know, you used to be able to go out to Mount Pleasant out in Westmoreland County and go to the Lennox plant um, and see them working there, but that closed in the 90s. So they really are not uh, the proliferation of factories that used to exist here. Why don't people know about more about the that Pittsburgh was has this history in, in the glass industry? I feel like, you know, we were so proud of our our steel production. We name our teams after, you know, steel production. Right. And um, there, there's no Glass City USA shirts in the strip right. district. Right. I think because of steel in many ways, I mean, this was the national center for glass production. In 1920, 80% of the glass made in the country was made in Western Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Eastern Ohio. Mm. So this was huge. Um, millions of pieces coming out of factories every single day. But it existed in the shadow of the steel industry. You know, a steel mill might employ thousands of people, 5,000, 8,000 people on the south side of JL or U.S. Steel, where a glass factory, a big glass factory, might employ 600. Mm. So as big as the industry was here, um, it really was overshadowed by the scale of steel. And steel is what has been associated metals production with this area. But when you say that glass city, Pittsburgh really was America's glass city uh, for about 150 years. So there is a great history here. It's just been as, you know, as you're saying, a, a kind of hidden history. What does it mean to people uh, to know this history, especially if you know you have you know family members who worked in one of these like production plants? I think it's that generational tie, that kind of family tie mm. um, that's important to people, that community tie. You know, there are places like Glassport um, that are factory towns that were built by glass companies. Um, Jeanette PA, which was named for um, H. Seller McKee, who owned the McKee factory when he moved out to Jeanette, he named it for his wife. So there are places and there are people who mm. have that connection. Uh, so I think that's important. People should also understand that Pittsburgh wasn't just a place that made this material. It was a major innovator in the production, the design, and the marketing of glass. So it really changed kind of American lifestyles, consumer lifestyles, um, and set trends. And um, so there was, you know, kind of major R&D and thinking innovation that went along with this industry that we should be proud of. Ann Matteris is the chief curator at the Heinz History Center. Anne, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I love talking about it. It's great to be with you. If you want to peel back the glass onion on our glass history, check out the exhibit Glass Shattering Notions at the Heinz History Center. And if you want to see art from the Blown Away finalists, their work will be on display at the Pittsburgh Glass Center starting this Friday. There's a free artist talk at 6.30 p.m. A little more news before you go. Pittsburgh Public Schools plan to sue social media companies for the cost of student mental health services. The district says it's trying to recoup the funds spent on therapy, counseling, and other services that were needed because of the damage done by social media. The district has already retained two law firms and plans on suing Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, and TikTok. Another school district in Seattle filed a suit earlier this month. And Pennsylvania has passed a statewide drinking water limit on two very toxic chemicals nicknamed Forever Chemicals. 
The rule sets a limit of 14 parts per trillion for perfluorooctane acid and 18 parts per trillion for perfluorooctane sulfonic acid. You have no idea how long it took me to say those. While state officials say we still don't fully understand the chemicals effects on human health or how to pronounce them, studies have linked them to cancer, thyroid disease, ulcerative colitis, and other health problems. That's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. If you enjoyed the show, tell your friends, rate the show, leave us a review, and subscribe to our Hey Pittsburgh newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city, so we'll see you then. Flora, uh, perfluoro-octane. Perfluoro-octane. Okay, I got that. And well. <laughs>